Nigerian Christians targeted in mass. It looks like Trump's peace plan is not going to be the same old, same old. And a former, yes, I said former, Prince of ISIS makes a U-turn. I'm Winston R. Holland, and this is Midi News Brief. And hello once again. This is Mideast News Brief, and I'm your host, Winston R. Holland. And today, we get to discuss some really difficult news, but amidst the tragedy, there is also uh, some redemption. We also get to discuss the Trump peace plan, which is looking more and more like it's not going to be the same old, same old. Uh, hopefully, very hopefully, proving me wrong. I, I I said publicly here on the broadcast before that I figured this plan will be just kind of the same old, same old. Uh, this is going to be a two-state solution, and the Palestinians are going to reject it, and we're going to be where we've been for the last, uh, I don't know, 80 or so years. Uh, but this is the age of Trump. <laughs> Whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, I think it's a good thing. But regardless of what's your view on it, we are in the age of Trump. And it is looking like it's not going to be the same old, same old. But before I get to that, I want to reiterate that the massacre in New Zealand was what it was. It was a massacre. It was evil. It deserved international attention, and there's no excuse for it, obviously. It was a horrific act, and it deserved its place. But when I see stories like this, like what I'm about to talk about briefly, it it really shows you where the international community is when it comes to how much they really care about Christians being persecuted in mass. This is March 20th from CBN News. And and again, this doesn't go with the narrative. What's the narrative? Islam is this peaceful religion that's just been hijacked by extremists or whatever. And, And again, lots of peaceful Muslims. And I want as many peaceful Muslims as possible, right? But this doesn't go with whatever narrative that exists out there overall for Islam. And not only that, their target were Christians. And of course, that's least important when it comes to international recognition. Two Islamic groups target Nigerian Christians, 300 killed, while 72 others supernaturally saved from firing squad. So this is CBN News, the Christian Broadcasting Network. So uh, of course, it's going to, it's very Christian, and, and it is not afraid to discuss when it feels like something was a, was a supernatural thing. But uh, whether you agree with that or not, the, the story is extremely important. This is March 20th. The news out of Nigeria is getting progressively worse, as it is being reported that more than 300 people were killed in at least seven predominantly Christian villages across Nigeria in February and March this year according to multiple sources that monitor persecution of Christian. Quote, Since February 10th, 
There have been at least 270 people killed in Kaduna State alone. International Christian Concern confirms. It has been reported that at least 70 Christians have been killed during a 10 week span at the beginning of 2019 across the other Middle Belt states. In one early morning attack on the village of Karamai on February 14th, sources said 41 people died after 300 gunmen swarmed the village shouting Allahu Akbar as they fired their weapons and ransacked people's homes. According to Barnabas Fun, it was reported almost all of those killed were women and children, along with a few senior residents who were unable to run away. Witnesses reported most of the men of the village fled when the attack began. Another 71 people were killed and 28 injured in an attack on the Daga. Dagan Noma village by an Islamic group known as a Fulani militia on March 11th. The 2018 Global Terrorism Index, compiled by the Institute for Economics and Peace, lists the Fulani among the top terrorist groups in the world. Quote, in Nigeria in 2018, there's been a dramatic increase in violence involving Fulani extremists. The report states those attacks are clearly not letting up in 2019. So, in the recent attack on the Dogon Noma village, I don't know, how do you say D O G O N? I don't know.、Uh, the terrorists were, quote, torching houses, shooting and hacking down anything that moved. Could you imagine? According to eyewitnesses, some estimated that 100 homes were destroyed in the early morning raid. Another nine people were reportedly killed and 30 houses destroyed in the village of Nandu, Gabak, on March 16th. Church leaders in Nigeria have repeatedly called on President Buhari, who is a Fulani Muslim, to take action against the Fulani herdsmen who have been repeatedly attacking Christian farming villages. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I'm not holding my breath. But this is a section on divine intervention. I think it's important to read. Listen to this. So, look, this is unfortunately, this is the world we live in. It's the world that is the result of the fall. And there is evil, and there is destruction, and there is wickedness beyond our imagination that exists in this world. Of truly evil forces destroying and killing innocent people. And I don't, I don't say that out of joy. I don't say that for any reason other to say, like, this is simple reality. And we can choose to reject God, right? We can, re-choose, we can choose to run from Him because of this. Or we can choose to run to Him. And we can choose to run into His arms. See, here's the reality of it. And here's what people don't get. In times of tragedy, whether you choose to embrace God or you choose to reject Him, the tragedy is still there. The tragedy still happened. And so you can either run to His arms and find peace and find comfort and find help and find security. Or you can reject him and live in、uh, 
bitterness and an anger and an isolation. Which one? I mean, look, the tragedy happens either way. So which one do we choose? Which one, even if you look at it from a purely selfish perspective, which one's going to make you happier and give you more joy? This, uh, this bitterness over here, how could a good God allow these things to happen? Or over here, I love you, God, and I trust you, and I seek you right now amidst this difficulty. I remember when my father passed away, senselessly killed by a woman looking for her phone charger, hits him on the side of the, hits him, and he dies. After surviving two heart attacks and was actually really healthy. How idiotic would it have been of me to just shake my fist at God? But no, I, by his grace, I ran into his arms and I said, I need you and I love you. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I tell you what, I was far happier, far more consoled, far more comforted than if I would have just shaken my fist at God in, in bitterness and in anger and in rage. I trust God, even though he allows evil to happen in this world. I can trust him that he knows more than I do, that he's the one that's omniscient, not me. He's the one that has his reasons and his purposes for allowing even my brothers and sisters in Christ to perish, even my own dad, to what seemed to me to be senselessly uh, killed in an accident. I can trust him. I can trust him. And I do. And again, if you want to go to the philosophical route, that's fine. We can go that route. Because ultimately, if all that exists is the material, if all that exists is what we can see, touch, taste, smell, then the last thing you can do is tell me that somehow God is morally evil by allowing these things to go on. Because ultimately, if all we are is the material, then there is no ultimate standard of good and evil at all by which you can draw from to make some kind of conclusion that God is evil because he didn't stop this or that. Like, it takes God... It takes God's morality in order to point the finger at God that he's evil. Look, matters and molecules, as Frank Turek says in his great book, Stealing from God, matter and molecules can't tell me what to do. Matter and molecules can't dictate, dictate to me right and wrong. We run to God in times of tragedy. And not only that, but in the midst of tragedy... God will, will also supernaturally step in and save and supernaturally step in and do amazing work. Again, the Middle East, what we see in the Middle East is a place of trauma. What we see is a place of death and destruction. That is not what God sees. That is not what God sees. God sees a future kingdom. 
that he is establishing and that he is building to come back to and rule and reign from forever from Jerusalem. We've got to have that perspective. But it's, the house has got to get messy. You ever try to redo your house? You ever try to redo your place? You're doing a big project? What's the place like before it becomes this glittering, gleaming, wonderful abode after it's done? It's trashed. The place is trashed, right? Sometimes for a long time, for months. My parents can testify to that. They're doing this major renovation indoors. And their first floor has just been for a long time, it's better now, but for a long time, it was just, it certainly wasn't luxury. But when they're done with it, and they do it right, <laughs> I'll say that, they do it right. When they're done with it, it's, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be perfect. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be what they had hoped and dreamed about. That's the Middle East. That's really the world, if we're being honest. That's the world. When you're completely redoing something, things are sometimes messy for a long time. But you know what? In the end, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be perfect. The Fulani militia isn't the only Islamic group terrorizing Christians in Nigeria. Barnabas Fund reports that Boko Haram terrorists recently captured 76 Muslim background believers who had turned to Christ. Oh, and by the way, what is the penalty in Islam for turning to Christ and turning away from Islam? Death. Yes, no, it's not a tolerant religion at all. Do not be deceived. Islam is a violent religion that kills apostates. It's better to, just be, it's better to be a Christian who had never been a Muslim than to be a Muslim to have then turned away. So, th- th- this first paragraph doesn't look very good. It doesn't sound very good. But wait, there's more. But a story of tragedy reportedly turned into a supernatural rescue for 72 of those Nigerian Christians who were facing a Boko Haram firing squad. Four leaders of the Christians who were, who were told to renounce their faith in Jesus uh, and revert to Islam when the men refused because they're brave men who love Jesus. When the men refused, they were executed in front of their family. Then the wives of the four men were told to renounce their faith or their children would be executed. That's when something remarkable happened. Here we go, guys. <laughs> You're not going to hear this uh, on CNN or Fox, right? But that's why you listen to this podcast, right? <laughs> the children in the group said, the Lord Jesus appeared to them that night and told them, all would be well, according to sources with the Barnabas Fund. They were told not to fear, that he would protect them, and that they should not renounce him, but stay strong, knowing that, quote, he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
That, of course, is a reference to the scripture, John 14, 6, where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The next morning, the terrorists lined the children against a wall and told the four mothers they could save their kids if they would only renounce Jesus Christ and return to Islam. The mothers refused. Look, some people would say, oh, you must hate your kids. But what was it that Jesus said? Whoever comes to me must love him. Their love for him must be like, uh, compared to love for their families is like hatred because they're so committed to him that no matter what, they do not denounce or refuse him. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yes, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. Now, you have to understand he is, of course, speaking in hyperbole there. He doesn't literally want us to hate our children. He doesn't want us to to hate um, other people or anything like that. He's just saying, you are devoted to me and to my Father first and foremost above anything, even when it comes to your own lives or own children. As the soldiers prepared to fire, something happened. They dropped their rifles and started to grab at their heads, screaming and shouting, Snakes! Snakes! Some of the soldiers ran off, and others dropped dead where they stood, according to the Barnabas Fund. After one soldier had dropped his weapon in fear, one captive attempted to pick up the rifle in order to fire at the fleeing terrorists. He stopped when a four-year-old child told him about angels who were protecting them. You don't need to do that. Can you not see the men in white fighting for us? Wow. The lives of all 72 Christians were spared, and they were relocated to a safer region of Nigeria. When the Barnabas Fund's contact asked the group's pastor why he thought Jesus appeared to them and not to others, he gave this answer. He does not need to. You have over 200 versions of scripture and many people able to explain the Bible to you. These people do not. Why does God choose to save some people like that and and others he does not? I don't know. But here's the reality is that God is omniscient and he knows better than we do. We have next to no knowledge of the universe and he has 100% knowledge of the universe. The smartest man that's ever lived doesn't has an, has an infinitesimal, far less than 1%, far less than 0.001% knowledge of the universe compared to God, who has all knowledge. And number two, wow, <laughs> what an incredible testimony. God stepped in and saved these children, and we can celebrate that. We can celebrate that. I will, and I will, and I am, and that's, you know what, this is the kind of stuff that uh, you're not going to see on the typical mainstream news, but this is the kind of stuff that we can look to. Yes, there was tragedy, and yes, the, the Christians in Nigeria and other parts of the world that are being targeted, look, Open Doors USA estimates 11 a day, like I think I mentioned in the last podcast, 11 Christians a day being killed for their faith. So in that scripture, in Hebrews 13, 3, remember those 
who were in prison, as though in prison with them. It's that that same spirit that we uh, remember those who are being uh, persecuted uh, and praying for those in the faith, that they stay strong and stay faithful to the very end. I've got another one from CBN, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. This, this, is, a, this is a good story. Um, this, this, is, this is one of those. I, I had a conversation with a friend recently who basically told me he doesn't think people change. Ultimately, it's kind of a cynical view. Doesn't think that people change. And actually, we, we conversed about it. It was actually over text. We conversed about it a little bit. And I think I was able to pull him over to my side a bit more. <laughs> Because I think, because people at times radically change. But typically what doesn't change is their personality. So they may have been a really evil person. And then they turn from their evil and they, they turn to Christ. And uh, they're radically changed. But typically you're going to have some like personality overlays. So I think in, in some ways people, people don't change. But in terms of their mindset, in terms of their heart, in terms of their actions, yes, God changes people, and this is a prince of Isis that we are going to uh, get to uh, this uh, spiritual leader, an Isis, that turned to Christ. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, again, please pray for the Nigerian Christians. that uh, They really do uh, suffer on a very, very, very regular basis, and they need international help. But even if international help doesn't come, the the story of those <laughs> the story of those seventy two Christians being saved shows me again God is at work, and just because He does not stop all of the tragedy now, doesn't mean He doesn't stop some tragedy now, and doesn't mean that He may not stop more uh, in the future, and it doesn't mean that uh, He doesn't have an ultimate plan of redemption because we know that he does. Okay, I want to shift gears a little bit because I came across an article. Oh, let's see here. I came across an article about the peace plan, like I mentioned in the intro. Um, and this is from JTA, the Jewish Telegraphic Agency. And it gives me hope that I was just blaringly wrong. <laughs> I, I don't in particularly enjoy being wrong. Uh, like all people, I, I have pride that I must beat down. But when it comes to this, I'm... I'm enjoying, I'm going to be honest, I'm enjoying being wrong. Because being right in this instance would just, it would be just a repetition of decades and decades of, of history and of really ultimately senseless destruction and murder of the Jewish people. Because what we have to understand, and if we look at the history of the Israeli-Arab conflict, when, I mean, take the most recent blaring example, right? 2005, the Israelis literally dragged their Jewish brethren out of their homes in Gaza. 
back into Israel. Literally relocated. A bunch of Jews. I'm not sure how many, but a lot. And I remember at the time sitting there on my computer watching this going, and I really knew nothing about this, about any of this back in 2005, but I'm sitting there going, what is this? You got IDF soldiers dragging Jews out of their homes, uh, out of the so-called occupied territory, back into like what is now internationally allowed to be called Israel. And what happened, right? So the, the whole idea was that, well, if we do this, if we pull out of Gaza, then we're going to get peace. Right? <laughs> then we're going to get, uh, they've got their own place now. We give the Palestinian Authority control over the West Bank. We give Hamas control. Well, I say we give Hamas control. Once the people, once the Jews pulled out and the people had elections, who did the people vote in? They voted in Hamas, a terrorist group that has in its charter the destruction of the Jewish state as like their top priority. And what have we gotten since 2005? Rockets, 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 terrorism, terrorism, terrorism coming out of Gaza. Thousands of acres of land burned by these uh, incendiary balloons that they send over and just catch land on fire. Rockets hitting home, hitting homes, traumatizing people, killing people indiscriminately. Now from the most recent attack that sparked the Gaza um, issue a couple weeks ago, hitting a home north of Tel Aviv. This is what Israel gets when they cede land to the Arabs. That is just simple reality. And what do we think would happen? What do we think would happen if we did the same thing in the West Bank, also known as Judea and Samaria? When we already know that the Palestinian Authority gives stipends to families of terrorists who killed Jews. Oh, you killed Jews? Okay, you are now on a government pension. You now get a government pension for life. You get, you know, X amount of dollars a month for life. Like, it is a, it is a terrorist that even the Palestinian Authority, the so-called moderate, which maybe compared to Hamas, it's moderate, but is a terrorist organization. So what do we think would happen if we made a repeat of Gaza, we pulled all of the Jews out of the West Bank, and we gave the Palestinians, basically a, a, a gave the Arabs a state called Palestine, which has never existed. There's never been a state called Palestine ever Palestinians simply adopted that name the second half of the 20th century, or Arabs adopted that name in the second half of the 20th century. The the region known as Palestine was always part of Syria, even under the Ottoman Empire before its fall after World War II. It was never called Palestine. I mean, what do we think would happen? This is a terrorist group. We know what would happen. We know that they would use this newly formed Palestinian state to then 
continue and in an even greater, stronger way enact terrorist acts against Israel. So it's ludicrous to give terrorists their own state. And I think in light of that, we're going to see something a little different coming out of the Trump administration. This is an article from JTA, Jewish Telegraphic Agency. I think I already said that before I went on my little um, opinion streak there. March 29th, Ron Campius The Trump team's Middle East peace plan is beginning to look a lot like one state. And that's why I believe one state's really the only solution. Trump administration officials have been silent and notably leak-free about what exactly is in the Middle East peace plan that Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is shaping. Until now. This week, in speeches to the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, it became clear that the plan will likely not accommodate a Palestinian state, or at least the sovereignty that attaches to statehood. David Friedman, Trump's ambassador to Israel, and one of three members of the peace team, which I love I love David Friedman. He, he just reminds me of your sweet old Jewish grandpa. He really, he really does. In his APAC speech, outlined why Israel should seize the opportunity of the still-to-be-seen peace plan. It allows Israel to maintain security control of the West Bank, and a future U.S. administration might not be so understanding. And then the article quotes Friedman as saying, Can we leave this to an administration that may not understand the existential risk to Israel, or may not care to understand the existential risk to Israel, if Judea and Samaria are overcome by terrorists in the manner that befell the Gaza Strip after the IDF withdrew from this territory. Hey, great minds think alike. I was just kind of thinking the same thing. Okay, just kidding. He asked, using the preferred Israeli name for the West Bank, quote, can we leave this to an administration? that may not understand the need for Israel to maintain overriding security control of Judea and Samaria in a permanent defense position in the Jordan Valley. Isn't just clear thinking so (laughs) refreshing? The Jewish Telegraphic Agency asked Jason Greenblatt, Trump's top Middle East negotiator and the third member of the of the Kushner peace plan, peace team, whether this meant that Israeli control of the West Bank was in the deal, as opposed to a Palestinian state making its own defense and foreign policy decisions. Quote, I'm not going to address speculation of what may or may not be in the plan, he replied in an email. That was like his replies to many previous inquiries from reporters about anonymously leaked details. The next day, House Appropriations Chairwoman Nita Lowey asked Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, three times if the Trump administration believed in the two-state solution. Each time, he demurred. Isn't that interesting? Instead, Pompeo, in his Hill testimony, referred to the other big Israel and territory news this week. 
Trump's formal recognition of Israel's sovereignty in the Golan Heights, which, like the West Bank, was captured in the 1967 Six-Day War. Which, very interesting story that I literally just saw before I started the podcast on the Jerusalem Post. So I haven't even read the story. I'm just gonna, uh, we're just gonna kind of work through it together a little bit, but it's, it's really interesting, and I'm gonna get to it right after I finish with this story. But let's end with a statement from Pompeo, quote, we believe this increases the likelihood that we get resolution of the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, Pompeo said. We think it speaks with the clarity that takes this away from any uncertainty about how we'll proceed. Tamara Kaufman-Witz, a top Middle East policy official in the Obama administration, said she was able to read two possible meanings into what Pompeo meant by, quote, clarity. She said, One is that it relates to the content of the Trump peace plan, suggesting that the plan will recognize Israel's claim to at least part of the West Bank. The other is that it relates to what will happen if the Trump peace plan is not accepted by the Palestinians. The United States would greenlight an Israeli annexation. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty revolutionary. The idea that a U.S. administration would greenlight the complete annexation of the West Bank into Israel. Now, technically, it's a part of Israel right now. Anyway, it's just not called that. I mean, Israel technically has control over it. Oh, and then spoiler alert. The Palestinians already snubbing uh, administration officials since Trump recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital are not likely to accept a plan that keeps Israeli troops in the West Bank. Yeah, they're not likely to accept any plan at all. The only plan that the Arab Palestinians will accept is a one-state solution with Palestine as the state. And it would be the first time there ever was a Palestinian state, but that's the only plan ultimately that they accept. Remember, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. They want the six million Jews in Israel basically swept into the Mediterranean Sea. Pompeo asked whether the U.S. would now recognize other countries' annexation of occupied land, said, quote, absolutely not. However, in defending recognition of the Golan as Israeli territory, Pompeo seemed to set out the case Israel could invoke in annexing the West Bank. I mean, that is so stupid. To compare Israel gaining control of the Golan Heights to Russia annexing Crimea. It's just, it's so ludicrous. And that's exactly what Pompeo says. Listen to what he says. Quote, Israel was fighting a defensive battle to save its nation. And it cannot be the case that a UN resolution is a suicide pact. He told reporters Thursday, apparently referring to Security Council 242, immediately following the 1967 Six-Day War, which established the land for peace principle in the Israeli-Arab conflict. It was a message that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu echoed almost precisely the day before. Quote, There is a very important principle in international life, he said. When you start wars of aggression, you lose territory. Do not come and claim it afterwards. It belongs to us. Thank you, 
Mr. Netanyahu. Oh, and by the way, we've got elections in four days in Israel. Guess who's going to win? <laughs> when, look, there's all, there's all, oh, who's going to win? Who's going to be the next prime minister? Who's going to... I'm going to go on the record. I'm going to make a very bold prediction here, but Netanyahu's going to win. At the end of the day, and this is how I've heard heard it explained by Israelis themselves, at the end of the day, when people go to bed at night, who are they going to be, who are they going to feel more comfortable running the nation? Gantz, the leftist, who in the middle of the night could broker a, like, a Palestinian state and end up having Jews ripped out of their homes in the West Bank to form this, uh, um, just this haven, right, called Palestine? Or Netanyahu, who would never do that, and who's going to do a reasonably good job keeping Israel safe. At the end of the day, when you live in the Middle East, and you're the only truly free liberal democracy in the Middle East, security's pretty top priority. Netanyahu is that guy. And under Netanyahu, um, U.S. has officially recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. The U.S. has now officially recognized uh, the Golan Heights as part of sovereign Israeli territory. Trump's wins have been Netanyahu's wins. And Netanyahu has used that. And Trump is very popular in Israel. He's like 70%. His approval rating in Israel is far higher (laughs) than here in the U.S. He is a rock star. Netanyahu is going to win. Don't even... Hold your breath. And he'll be able to, and Netanyahu will win. Likud will be able to, the Likud, Netanyahu's party will be able to form a coalition, form a government, and things are going to go on as usual. Um, uh, Gantz, his main competitor on the left, uh, there's been a lot of complaining. He won't even, like, at least last I heard, it could have changed since I last heard, like, won't even go on, like, new shows, anywhere that's unscripted. He's not a real dynamic character. And they all know the left is in cahoots with, with the enemies of Israel, that the priorities of the left are the priorities of, at least in part, with Israel's enemies. So, and again, another uh, foreign policy expert said, it sounds like the Trump administration has no interest in advancing a contiguous, completely sovereign Palestinian state. Dalia Scheinlin, a policy fellow at MITVIM, the Israeli Institute for Regional Foreign Policies, told JTA. So, uh, this is pretty, this is, this to me, and and look, here's something interesting. Here's something I, I noticed. I wish I had the book in front of me, but I, I have this book by Carolyn Glick, who I'm very excited. She is actually running for Knesset now. Um called The One State Solution, uh, or I'm sorry, The Israeli Solution, One State Plan for Peace in the Middle East. And I, I got this book a few years back, and I didn't think much of it. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, about a year ago. And uh, I, I looked, uh, and I had had it for a while, and then I looked on the back, looked at the endorsements, and 
there are two people that endorse the book on the back that particularly kind of stuck out to me. Uh, let's see. John Bolton endorsed the book, who, if you're not aware, is Donald Trump's national security advisor. No small potatoes in the administration. And even more than that, no, Donald Trump didn't endorse it, but his vice president did, Mike Pence, when he was governor of Indiana, read and endorsed the book. And here he is, here he is in the Trump administration, looking like it's not going to be a two-state solution. So two primary figures in the Trump administration have read and endorsed Carolyn Glick's book, Carolyn Glick's book about the one-state solution. Not only that, but there's a few other things I've picked up on. At Pence's speech at APAC last week, here is what he said when talking about the Jewish people. Pence said that, which I'm going to try to go to APAC next year. We'll see. But Pence said that he is so glad he has come into the vice presidency for such a time as this. Heard the speech with my own ears. He's so glad that he has come into the vice presidency for such a time as this. Anyone who's familiar with the Bible, anybody who is a Christian and is familiar with Old Testament stories, is going to immediately recognize that that is a quote from the book of Esther when Esther's uncle Mordecai tells Esther, perhaps you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And what time was that? It was a time of intimate destruction of her people in Persia. That was no small statement. Don't take that as, oh, he's just a Bible thumper. Okay, there, he, a guy like Mike Pence chooses his words carefully. He likely, on some level, whether you agree with this or not, but he likely on some level feels like God has put, the, put him there in this time and this season to help preserve the Jewish people, and I would tend to agree with that assessment. Call me crazy. Call me a Bible thumper. I really call me a Jesus freak. I don't care. Actually, the greatest comment anybody could give me was to would be to call me a Jesus freak. Um, but make no mistake. That is no accident that he used those words. And he's a smart enough guy, a lot smarter than me, to know that a Palestinian state would mean unbelievable trouble for the Jewish people. So that was that was one of the things uh, that I noticed. Uh, kind of outside of this different stuff that, that I've been reading. I mean, that is, that's, that's pretty significant. And secondly, uh, I remember seeing some video. This was when Trump was, uh, had nominated David Friedman to be the USM, next U.S. ambassador to Israel. Um, I remember seeing a video of David Friedman. It was kind of like this informal video of him like uh, at a restaurant talking about these issues. And he, and he was talking about the population issue in, um, 
in the West Bank, uh, the Arab population. And the whole claim is, well, if we do a one-state solution, then the Arab population will overwhelm the Jewish population, and it'll basically turn uh, Israel into yet another Arab state, Arab-dominated state. And David Friedman echoed the very things written. He didn't endorse the book. He was just a divorce lawyer at the time in New York, but uh, echoed the very same things in Carolyn Glick's book, because that's Carolyn Glick's book argument, is that, no, the, num- the, the books have been cooked. We don't have any real good, solid data. Oh, and by the way, the greater the population, the greater the funds from the United Nations. And so they've got a very good reason. They've got a very good reason to, to inflate the numbers. And so here you've got now three people, easily, very extremely important people to this peace plan that have obviously been influenced by this one-state idea. And then, so we get a story like this out of the JTA, and then we get a story like this out of the Jerusalem Post, if my internet will work, and the... uh, (laughs) And the story will come back up because, again, I literally saw this right before, right before I got on. So let's see if this will come up, if I might have to switch out the internet here. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Check this out. Breaking news. (laughs) Considering this is uh, not live. Uh, I usually don't mess with breaking news, but I couldn't resist this one. And again, like I said, I haven't read it, but I'm going to hit it real quick because I want to get to one more story before we wrap up. This is from the Jerusalem Post, Yvette Dean, April 5th, 2019. Trump's peace plan, grant Jordanian citizenship to a million Palestinian refugees report. Trump will also ask Egypt to grant citizenship to Palestinian refugees. All right, let's go through this together, shall we? This is very interesting. President Donald Trump will push for Jordan to grant citizenship to one million Palestinian refugees as part of his, quote, deal of the century, according to Lebanese newspaper Al-Akbar. Trump will also ask Egypt to grant citizenship to Palestinian refugees. Granting Palestinians refugee citizenship status from other countries may be a way for Trump to avoid establishing a Palestinian state. The report hints that a confederation of three states may be an option, where there would be a joint government between Israel, Jordan, and the PA for specific and limited purposes. According to the report, Jordanian King Abdullah II expressed opposition to the establishment of a joint confederation and told Egyptian leaders that he prefers Jordan to remain in charge of the holy sites in Jerusalem, quote, without interfering in the details between the Israelis and the Palestinians. No, what he's trying to do is, is avoid Jordan from having to take in a million Palestinian refugees. Look, Jordan does not want these people either, and Palestinians are essentially second-class citizens in Jordan, which is ultimately ironic because the Arabs love to blast Israel, right, about being second, uh, Arabs being second-class citizens, and that's, that's what's going on with the Palestinians in Jordan. 
If the Al-Akbar report is correct, Jordan and Egypt will receive $110 billion in economic aid, according to, the, according to the report. It is not yet clear where this report aid will come from. Jordan will, would receive $45 billion, and the remainder would go to Egypt. For both of the countries, part of the money will be used for implementing projects on the ground. The absorption would happen in stages, where the largest number of refugees that Jordan would have to take in at one time would be 300,000. Palestinians from Gaza who are currently in Jordan would be included in this deal. Part of the deal would also include giving Jordanian land, Naharayim, and so far, to Israel. These enclaves are currently leased to Israel, but officially Jordanian land. In return, Jor- Jordan would, relieve, would receive land from Saudi Arabia, the report claimed. Now, let me... <laughs> let me stop for a second. Okay, this isn't going... <laughs> See, we saved the best for last. This isn't going to happen. I'm... <laughs> Maybe some of it will. Maybe some of it will. But if we're to think that all these things in this report out of Lebanon is going to happen, uh, we will see. Look, Jordan, I, and look, I'm sorry. I Again, I saw this article right before I went on the air. I had to get started because I got somewhere to be. And so I didn't really read through it. <laughs> this isn't going to happen. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe some. I, I was, maybe it's ridiculous that I find it so humorous. But when I say, "Oh yeah, uh, Jordan's going to give land to Israel, and then Saudi Arabia is going to give land to Jordan, and Jordan's going to take in a million refugees that most three hundred thousand at one time," and blah blah, uh, <laughs> we shall see. I, I, look, I'm still excited about the peace plan. Now, don't get me wrong, but uh, do do not do not expect some random uh, report out of uh, Lebanon's Al-Akbar newspaper to be correct. Like, maybe they're 5% correct. Al-Akbar reported that Trump intends on updating Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi on the details of his peace plan. Trump would also propose that Lebanon absorbs a portion of their Palestinian refugees. But if the refugees accept Lebanese citizenship, they would forego their claim to the right of return which the right of return is something that they have been marching about uh, in Gaza. That's what Land Day is about. That's what, uh, well, partly. But the idea that um, all of the Palestinians and their children and their children's children and their children's children's children that were displaced in the 1948 Israeli War of Independence, which they call the Nakba, the disaster, all of them are able to return because they're, quote, refugees. Yes, even like the great-grandchildren are refugees <laughs> when they weren't even born at the time and would not be born for several decades afterward. Uh, so that's that's the right of return. The return of basically as many uh, Arab Palestinians as they want. There have been various reports on what Trump's peace plan might include. Channel 13 News reported in January that the deal would include a Palestinian state with 85 to 90% of the West Bank and the division of Jerusalem. And who knows? Maybe it still will be. Maybe the police, the peace plan will still suck. Maybe it will. But I've got some hope here. I've got some hope that maybe it won't. Look, it's not going to be the things that I've reported on this podcast. Let's just be clear about that. It's not going to be this story or the, the 
previous story that I reported. We, we have to understand this is this is a lot of this stuff is anonymous sources. A lot of this stuff are, are just reports and so forth. Um, we we ultimately cannot trust this information. Well, why do you talk about it, Ryan? Well, because I think some of it, especially the quotes from Mike Pence, from Mike Pompeo, the idea that so many members of Trump's administration, high up, have been influenced by the one state solution book, the Israeli solution book. I think all of that is important. And I don't know if I had actually read this article <laughs> before I before I went live. I don't know that I would have read it. So I, I just saw it and I went live again. Um, but who knows? Maybe this Lebanese newspaper has some has an inside scoop, or maybe it's fake news and they're just trying to get attention and information, or maybe even more nefarious purposes. Right? Maybe they want to cause dissension and strife to uh, inhibit the. Effectual, effectualness of Trump's peace plan. So that's possible. So interesting peace plan news. You guys know that's my favorite subject if you've been listening for any <clears throat> period of time. And uh, so we'll see. We've got the elections on uh, Monday, four days. And we're going to see, uh, hopefully very soon after that, what what is in the peace plan. They better not. <laughs> they better not make us wait too long. Not that they have to worry about me being upset, but uh, man, we're, we're ready. We're ready for this thing. All right. Check this out. If you don't believe that people can change, you, and I say this very lovingly and just with a heart of compassion, you are wrong. Absolutely wrong. I'm not going to say dead wrong. I'm going to say life wrong. That's probably really hokey and stupid, but I don't care because this is reality. This is news. We have to change our perspective. What we think of as news, when we think of news, we think of what CNN or Fox or whoever feeds to us in the, on the cable shows or what we see coming through our Facebook feed if we're subscribed to news channels or uh, the email lists, uh, our favorite online sites. Yeah, some of that's news. A lot of it's news. But what's also, what's going on with your neighbor is news. What's going on with your family is news. I remember when I was in college, I visited the hometown of my roommate with him one weekend. Very small little town. You know what news was to them? Do you know what news was when he showed me his town newspaper? There was literally a page in the back of the paper. A couple pages. And you would read things such as this. This weekend, Tom and Betty Barnes had their grandkids over. They said they had a really good time. <laughs> I'm reading this going, what? <laughs> what is this? And then the next one down. Um, So-and-so's uh, oldest child is back from college. They spent the weekend together, and they, they went down to um, have some crawfish. They said they had a great time. 
You know, and just down the list, example after example after example after example. Was that news? Was that news? It might not be what comes to our head when we think of I'm reading the news or I'm watching the news. But that's news. That's news. That's news is simply, or at least should be, things that happen that are important. That was important to those people, and so that was news. We have we I feel like we we because of the inundation of the 24-hour news cycle, we as people need a mindset shift on what actually is news and really what ultimately matters because I'm about to read you a story. Again, I started with a story from CBN. I'm going to end with it about something that's not only news, but it's very, very, very good news. And I hope that we love to consume good news more than bad news. Because it's very easy to just get barraged all day, every day, with bad news. But there's good news out there. And again, the gospel means good news. That's literally what it means in Greek, good news. So let's read some good news, shall we? I'm going to end off with this. And then I'll end off with the quote of the week from Honest Abe Lincoln. Former prince of Isis turns to Christ after a God dream. Quote, I saw a love that didn't exist in Islam. This is from March 16th of this year. A prince of Isis has done what many would consider unthinkable, making a commitment to turn away from his horrifying past to unite with a new way of life through Jesus Christ. Yes, people can change especially when God changes them. A former ISIS leader whose identity has been disguised for his safety is being called Mohammed. The miraculous circumstances that led to his transformation were reported by Dr. Michael Youssef's Leading the Way ministry. I have no idea about this ministry, so if he's... Look, I... uh, um, But it it seems okay as far as I know, (laughs) but uh, this is not any endorsement of his ministry. Since the launch of its Christian satellite TV station, the Kingdom SAT, leading the way is working to touch some of the most unreachable lives in the Arabic world, including people like this notorious Prince of Isis. A video testimony from the ministry reported that one of their follow-up coordinators named Peter received a call several years ago from a man who pleaded to meet with him. And there's actually a really good uh, dramatic video reenactment of this that I'll publish at midisnewsbrief.com. So it'll be uh, linked along with this story. The man on the other end of the phone with Peter turned out to be a spiritual leader in the terrorist group. Even though Peter knew it was possible that Muhammad may try to kill him, he believed God was leading him to go ahead with the meeting. Now that's bravery. That's faith. That's trust in God right there. In a reenacted testimony, Muhammad opened up about his dramatic shift from Islam to Christianity. Quote, one day somebody asked me why I am a Muslim, he said. Scrambling for answers, Muhammad began to search in the Quran, Hadith, and Sunnah. If you're not familiar, uh, the Quran is like the Bible, and the Hadith and Sunnah are like traditions. 
that. Some are um, very authoritative. Some traditions are less authoritative, and scholars rank, you know, which ones are more th- authoritative and, and, and so forth. It's, it's not ultra cut and dry. Quote, I wanted to find proof and evidence that Allah exists and Islam is right. I found nothing, he said. But that wasn't the initial reason why Muhammad met with Peter. He says he had just wanted, I'm sorry, he says he had just wanted to kill Peter. I mean, so he goes into this meeting with the intention to kill Peter. But during their first encounter, Peter boldly spoke the word of Jesus over the ISIS leader. And it gets, watch the video too. It gets even that I'll, again, I'll be linking to it, midisnewsbrief.com. It's, it's, the video is even better. The meeting did not end on a positive note. Muhammad became frustrated and struggled to grasp what Peter had told him about who God really is. Then the two met for a second time. Charisma News reports that leading the way senior director of ministry, outreach, Maged Atala, explained what happened in the next meeting. Quote, the second time they met, Muhammad told Peter he had a dream and saw an envelope dripping blood with great fragrance, he said. Peter explained that the dream was God telling him that blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Look, Muslims all over the world are coming to Christ because of dreams. Uh, We talked about this in episode 7 with Thani Abu Hamid. It's a great interview. If you uh, did not listen to it, very good. Highly recommend it. Um, but that's it's going on all over the Muslim world. Literally Jesus appearing to Muslims. And there's no psychological reason for that. right? Their focus is Muhammad. Their focus is Allah. For them to get a random dream from Jesus saying to turn and follow him. When they've never even heard that type of language before. Peter told him, quote, Jesus is sending you a message and you need to give your life to him. At that moment, he surrendered his life to Jesus. Muhammad then told Peter that the first time they met, he had a knife in his pocket and wanted to kill him on the spot, but something prevented him from doing this, said Atala. Now Muhammad's burning life questions have been answered and his life dramatically turned around. After repenting, Muhammad experienced a peace he had never felt before. I saw a love that didn't exist in Islam, he said. Because of his regular meetings with Peter, the so-called Prince of Isis accepted Jesus Christ into his life and began his journey as a Christian. The true book, in my opinion, is the Bible, declared Muhammad. I found the truth in Jesus Christ. What was that passage we quoted earlier? I am the way, the truth, the life. And because I have surrendered my life to the Lord, I am certain he will never forsake me. That is what Jesus did. Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you, like it says in the book of Hebrews. Quoting the Jewish Bible. So, that's great news. This was a spiritual leader in ISIS. And this man intended to kill the ministry worker, the evangelist, on the first meeting. And he ends up turning to Christ. 
it, it, look, it's remarkable. God is at work. God is moving amongst people in the Middle East. In this horrific region, God is on the move. Okay, so I want to... Uh, it's hard, <laughs> it's hard, this is going to sound weird, but it's hard at times to not think about the future of your country. It's hard in some ways to not think about the downfall of our country, especially with some of the people in our Congress right now. I recently um, was reading about Ilhan Omar and how she's basically lobbying to get this uh, Muslim Brotherhood, which is a terrorist organization. It's not officially recognized by the U.S., but it needs to be, but several other nations, including Muslim nations, have actually designated them as terrorist groups. Terrorist groups um, Lobbying for their release, and it's like you have these people in Congress that just want, they have come out with things like the Green New Deal that want to just, uh, that would literally just destroy our economy. And then you have have people that are literally working with our enemies, like working with the Council of American Islamic Relations, which is uh, ultimately a front group for the Hamas terrorist organization, or that are working with the Muslim Brotherhood, like the Obama administration did, like Ilan Omar is doing, um, to advance their interests. Uh, Hamas came from the Muslim Brotherhood. Al-Qaeda Spinoffs have come from the Muslim Brotherhood. This is a it's a terrible, horrible organization that seeks to undermine the the United States. Um, and so, I, and then I thought about this quote from Abraham Lincoln. I I mentioned this on an earlier podcast, but I'm a collector of quotes. I find a good quote. I've got a Google Doc that I just, wherever I'm at, I just, I, I plug it in there and I organize it by subject and so forth. Um, <clears throat> and this, this is from Abraham Lincoln, actually, before, well before, he was president of the United States. So, I, I know I was kind of ending on a high note, now I'm going low a bit, but here's the, here's the reality. Evil, one of the ways that evil works Evil loves to get into our heads and make us think that it's an that it is inevitable that it wins. That's the way evil works, right? Um, it wants to just it wants to dampen your spirit. It wants to dampen your hope because people without hope are people far less likely to fight. So when I see stuff like this, when I see members in Congress, literally who actually have investigations against them because of all kinds of fraud, um, when I see this kind of stuff, I there's part of me that hates it, but then there's part of me that goes, you know what? We should not be here. We should not have Trump as president. We should not have uh, 53 Republicans in the Senate and the ability to put conservative constitutional 
judges and uh, uh, the higher courts and lower courts through on a record pace. Our country is literally being saved by the Trump administration and and by uh, the Republican control of the Senate. If the opposite were in power, it would be anti-American, leftist, judicial activist judges that want to undermine our Constitution flooding the ranks. So we're in really a place right now as a country we don't deserve to be, getting in judges that are going to protect our constitutional freedoms. So I see that, but I also I got to look at right now, and I got to go, we've got hope. <laughs> you know, wow, wow. We are in an amazing spot. Yes, there are these, these evil Congress people that get a whole lot more attention than they should. But, which evil desires to dampen our spirits and make us think that there's no hope. Um, but there is, and we've been living it the past two years. But I think what we're seeing from these horrific people that have joined the United States Congress and have been a part of the United States Congress for a long time, I think what we're seeing is that if America were to fall, if America were, like, here's the reality. China, Russia, I don't care. Like, you attack us? Good luck against our military, for one. And two, you've got the backing of millions of people who own guns who would come out in the street and fight foreign invaders, right? So, uh, good luck attacking and prevailing over the United States of America. So if the U.S. is going to fall, how is it going to fall? Well, one of, I I think a lot of people can agree, one of America's favorite, most popular presidents of all time, and for good reason, the first Republican president, Abraham Lincoln. Before he was the first Republican president, he, of course, uh, was a lawyer and was a avid public speaker. And he gave a speech called The Perpetuation of Our Political Institutions, addressed before the Young Men's Lyceum of Springfield, Illinois, on January 27, 1838. A good 21 years before he stepped into office as the president. Our country was still very young, relatively speaking. We're still pretty young compared to other countries. But he had some insight on this question way back when. What would it be that brought down America before we had the biggest, baddest military in the world, before we were from literally, you know, from sea to shining sea? How would America fall? And this is what Lincoln said. Quote, at what point then? is the approach of danger to be expected? Lincoln asked again. I answer, if it ever reach us, it must spring up amongst us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, 
We must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. Wow. That was Abraham Lincoln, 1838. And I think those words read, uh, read extremely true today. But that being said, I do not believe that evil is going to prevail in this nation. I think if it was going to, it would have prevailed in 2016. We, God literally bought us a generation with the election of Trump as president and with the number of constitutionalist judges that are being put in place to protect our freedoms. We are very blessed. Perhaps this time will come now, right? Like Aragorn said in, in Lord of the Rings, the, there will come a time when men fail, but that day is not today. Men of the West, stand up and fight, <laughs> you know? Um, but that day is not today. God has blessed us, and we have so much, so much to be thankful for. All right, well, that will do it for this week's edition of Midi Snooze Brief. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, again, you can get the articles referenced as well as the video that I referenced up in the show notes at midisnoosebrief.com. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. Again, uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Briefing, as well as on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Brief. Thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll see you here again next week.